Welcome to Smashy Business Daily. Um, I'm Lubna Hamdan and... And I am Anika Ellis Baby and we are here today. Uh, so today we're going to be discussing a big exclusive, Saudi Mall's 100% foreign property ownership in Mecca and Medina, according to our sources. And then arrested for corruption is the CEO of Al-Ala's Royal Commission. He illegally obtained $55.1 million worth of contracts. We'll dig into that later on. Um, and then next up, how to improve your sleep if you're stressed and depressed in Dubai. We speak to sleep expert Julie Malone. Uh, and then coming up tomorrow, will the opening of casinos affect UAE property prices? We speak to Frank Porter's Enwed Nuseiba. Uh, Stay tuned for his interview tomorrow. Uh, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple and Rami, Spotify, and please subscribe to Smashy TV. Okay, I think we can, yeah, we can officially start the show. We can. Um, I just, I had a Red Bull for breakfast. Wow, that's extremely healthy <laughs> and a great push for healthy so, eating. Yeah, I'm just full of energy right now. Um, no, you know what? I do I do worry about my well-being sometimes. I worry about it too. You know when you just ask yourself, how am I still alive? How yeah. have I survived? I mean, I haven't reached that, but okay, <laughs> sure. That's an existential question we ask ourselves. Um, Annika, are you thinking about buying property this year? You know, the amount of real estate events I've been to in the past year, the amount of real estate, well, 2023, not 24. Yeah, yeah, sure. And the amount of, uh, like, Damak, we had an interview with Damak, mm-hmm. uh, and we have so many events. It's just, and all they t- keep talking about is buy property. Mm-hmm. Don't don't rent anymore because it's just going, the prices are just going to go up. Yeah. They just keep saying buy, but then I can't trust them because they're, Well, they own property companies, so why right. would I trust them? Right. But would you consider buying property here in the UAE, for example? Definitely. It's such a booming economy. Mm-hmm. You can never go wrong because people always will want to shift to Dubai. Absolutely. End of the day, they will always want to shift to Dubai. So you will always find someone who wants to rent it out. And you can never not make money on that. Like at least if you might not like make a profit, mm-hmm. but you can at least break even mm-hmm. when you... rent your property, you get something back. I'm sensing that you're a very responsible person who saves <laughs> and has the funds to buy property, unlike me. Well, I'm trying. I'm getting there, you know, emergency fund first, and yeah. then wow. six months of savings, and then you make your investment choices. Wow, wow. I, I feel like I really need to rethink some uh, some life choices. I mean, I'm sure you do it every day. You my <laughs> Just make your bed as, who was that guy says? I don't know. There's, don't a, know. there's a guy who goes on like when you wake up every day in the morning, the first thing you should do is make your bed because yeah. it sets your tone of productivity for the rest of you the day. You know these day. billionaires who say, you know, I became a billionaire because, because I, I woke up at 5 a.m. Bed. and my father owns a business. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Love it. Or wait, this is my favorite. I came to the UAE with five dirhams in my pocket. Like, no, you and didn't. five million in my bank account. No, <laughs> exactly. Um, anyways, um, so we uh, speaking of property. Uh, according to our sources, mm. um, Saudi is considering uh, offering a 100% uh, foreign property ownership in Mecca and Medina uh, to expats. So uh, the new law will allow foreigners to own property in one of the most or 
if not the most expensive real estate areas. Uh, it's going to be pretty huge. Uh, it's following in the UAE's footsteps. Mm. Uh, it will be, according to our sources, um, it will be leasehold rights for up to 99 years. So it is um, following, yeah, following in the UAE's footsteps. Um, it's just one of the laws um, that the kind- kingdom is pushing to attract expats. Uh, last year, it announced it will provide tax breaks for companies moving their regional headquarters to Riyadh, um, and, and that starts uh, started already January this year, so this month. Yeah, I mean, this this was a big push in general. Saudi is making big push to get people to the area, mm-hmm. and especially opening up a place like Mecca, Medina. Mm-hmm. These are considered like they're so close to the holy city. They are the holy city, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And um, so I'm pretty sure there are so many people who would want to own property there. Mm-hmm. Who would? And in general, just like the idea of Saudi up and coming. There's Al Ula. There's the Lion Project. There's so much that they're doing. So um, you yeah. know what? It's it's pretty impressive what Saudi is doing. Um, you know, first announcing um, uh, you know the new alcohol regulations. Mm. Um, You know, looking at places like Alola, for example, you know, it's really fascinating. Uh, so to... many people coming down for concerts. I believe there was Bruno Mars, Amir Diab, yeah. uh, Andrea Bocelli. Yeah. Wait, let's talk about that Vice story that you ah. were mentioning early on. Yeah, as in there was, yes, there was a party. This was back in 2022. Yeah. So Vice Media secret, according to the Guardian's headline, Vice Media secretly organized a $20 million Saudi government festival. Mm-hmm. And it was the government festival was called the Azimuth Music Festival. Mm-hmm. When, when was this? Last, sometime last year? This was sometime in 2022, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The, the article was published on 1st Feb 2022. Yeah. So, yeah. The Guardian just loves to, to hate on the UAE and Saudi. For sure. And, and it really gets For to sure. me. But I think one of the, one of the shareholders of Vice... Is, is, yes. So basically, I remember I used, I've been a long time follower of Vice because I really liked their deep dive investigative method. Mm-hmm. And then for a while there, there was a lot of projects like anti the line, mm-hmm. anti Saudi, you know, talking about all the corruption that's going on and how they're doing so many like like these things and how the line project is not feasible at all. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly I see one day this report that. Uh, Saudi uh, that Vice Media is being acquired, or there's a, a Saudi shareholder has joined, mm-hmm. or somebody something they have now got some kind of investment or money from Saudi. We probably should have double checked that before we started the show. We probably hey, should. It's have. Okay, we're we're only human. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm sure. Like I'm sure this happened. Something something related to Saudi yeah, getting money yeah. from Saudi. You know what? I'm loving that for Saudi. There's a mm-hmm. lot of talk about uh, you know, and, and I think we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, but you know, I think Western media is is petrified of uh, of Emirati slash Saudi ownership uh, of their publications, and I'm just loving it. It says something about journalism in general, also like the field itself. Yeah. Like a yeah. person has to own the business for them to at least consider reporting fairly. You know. Mm-hmm. But you know, you know what? I just feel like uh, Western media, especially w- with everything that's happening in Palestine. You know, there is no such thing as objective for sure. Western for sure. Uh, media coverage. For sure. Uh, you know, they did it with U- Ukraine uh, when they just ignored the Donbass war, which was going on for seven years, mm-hmm. and, and nobody yeah. cared about it. Yeah. Uh, then they went big on, you know, putting Zelensky on the cover of Vogue, which, which yeah. was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, uh, not even covering the, the ICJ um, trial, for example. Oh, yeah, they didn't even screen it. Yeah, so you know what, Western media... 
yeah, well, I, I guess the Emiratis and the Saudis are coming for you, and uh, for sure, it's objectively. And, and I'm really <laughs> here for it. Yeah, yeah I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> speaking of vice, by the way, I remember just like a, an interesting story. I remember interviewing Shane Smith, mm. um, one of the co-founders in uh, in Dubai a couple of years back, and it was about I would say like I don't know, 11 a.m. or something. And he, instead of a coffee, he asked for a double vodka on the rocks. Wow. Shane Smith. That says a lot like, about the state you're just of... just built different. Anyway. I mean, you're, you're on that path, technically, Red Bull in the morning. That's your oh, breakfast. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> None of that stuff for me. I'll draw the line at energy drinks. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. Um, Our second story of the day, we're, we're going big on Saudi today. Um, the CEO of uh, Al-Ula's Royal Commission, uh, Ahmed bin Saleh Abdurrahman al-Madani, um, has been arrested for crimes of abuse of authority and money laundering. Mm-hmm. That's according to an official source at Nazaha, the kingdom's oversight and anti-corruption authority. So he illegally obtained $55.1 million, which uh, amounts to about yeah, 206 million Saudi reals worth of contracts for the National Talents Company, which he co-owns uh, from the King Abdullah City for Atomic and Renewable Energy before joining the government sector through the help of a relative. Um, so he maintains the owner- ownership in the company while recommending it to the Royal Commission of, of Al-Ala, which uh, allowed his company to obtain projects valued at um, 1.3 million Saudi reals, which amounts to about $346,000. Um, it's not that big of a number, $346,000. True. We've Especially seen for Saudi and in Saudi. Uh, I feel like there is a, a bit more to the story, but... Um, well, we're not going to get into that now, but um, <laughs> but I, I do think it's uh, it, yeah, it's it's fascinating to see Saudi crack down on all of this um, corruption. For sure, it is. It it really sets the precedent mm-hmm. for what you can expect. Sure, move your business, move your headquarters, get the tax break, mm-hmm. but be careful. Like, don't step on wrong toes. Don't do. Mm. stupid things yeah pardon my French right right <laughs> um, yeah I mean I guess it's just cementing you know the business ethics in the kingdom and and uh, you know a- another thing to attract um, investors and ethical attract, investors um, yeah attract uh, foreigners to to the kingdom um, right uh, Annika thanks for joining us Christ, today it's my pleasure uh, it was great chatting to you I love trashing uh, on Catherine as always <laughs> Um, okay, so um, coming up tomorrow. So right now we're gonna we're gonna uh, stay tuned. We're gonna put on uh, Julie Malode's interview. She's talking everything sleep, and there are some really interesting facts there. Like, uh, what is a nappuccino? Apparently, if you want to have a nap, you have a cappuccino, uh, and it helps you go to sleep. Apparently, that's true for me. I drink coffee, I fall asleep. Yeah, like a warm cup. Me of too. Coffee. Apparently, if you do it immediately, you do fall asleep. So mm. right, that's up next with Julie Malone. Thanks for watching, guys. Are you stressed and sleepless in Dubai? Well, you're not alone. Whether you're a toddler or a top-level CEO, Julie Malone is here to help you get better sleep. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. You're the founder of um, Nurture to Sleep, and you're also the co-host of the Sleepless in Dubai podcast. Yes. That's pretty cool. 
But before we start, you're going to celebrate your wedding anniversary <laughs> in a couple of months' time. It'll be 40 years. It will. And my question is, is good sleep the secret to a happy marriage? Is that what it's actually all about? <laughs> Tell me the secret to, to such a happy, well, successful marriage. I think like anything, there is no secret. And it all comes down to really good communication and honesty. Mm-hmm. and recognizing and being realistic with your expectations, like the same with sleep. You'll have good sleep and not so good sleep, but that's okay. And you'll have days where you as a couple have a hard time, but that's okay too. And I truly believe, and again, it's the same with sleep, there is such a huge adversity gap at present. And what we have to remind ourselves though, is that it's only going through that adversity and coming out the other side is our relationship strengthened. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. And I mean, this is so relatable for so many people. We, we live in a really fast paced city and people in cities don't get uh, as good um, of a nighttime sleep as people in, you know, living by the countryside. Um, how can we get better sleep in the city, Julie? I know it's not an easy question. Well, it is an easy question when we are looking at where we're coming from. And also to think the country actually can be very noisy with lots of different animals. So it's can... wake ups at yeah, 5 a.m. Yeah. yeah. So I think in any environment where we are, there, there is always going to be challenges to our sleep. Mm-hmm. But of course, the biggest challenge to our sleep now is that we are a society that is always on 24 7 mm-hmm. and you know like we've said previously in terms of the next netflix um ceo when he was appointed he said i'm going to wage war on sleep so all of these challenges are really really hard to do in, in finding our way to what works for us as an individual with our sleep You know what, I know so many people who don't own TVs in their homes because they were just saying that they were getting addicted to Netflix and binge watching shows. And now that they've given up TV, they sometimes watch things on their laptop or connect their laptops. Yeah, which is worse, but they have, you know, they've really decreased their uh, screen time. Um, So, yeah, that's a pretty pretty awful thing to say, no, it is. rage war on sleep. Yeah. Gosh. Now, why it is worse in terms of, you know, not watching the screen mm-hmm. from the TV is because with each device, each screen has a different intensity, which is more challenging to our sleep. So for example, um, the screen has less intensity of blue light than an iPad, for example, whereas the iPhone has the greatest intensity of blue light. Wow. And it's the blue light that really disrupts our natural sleeping rhythm. So that very, very important hormone, the sleep hormone melatonin, Mm -hmm. that is completely disrupted because of exposure to the screen. Now again, the screens that we have, particularly here in Dubai, they're just getting bigger and bigger. You know, the TV screen is huge. So again, that amount of blue light that's coming off probably now amounts to the same intensity as an iPad or an iPhone. So we've just got to be very mindful about how is this supporting our sleep. Now again, I think what is really, really difficult in the world where we're at is that 
there is more and more information coming out from a neuroscience perspective about the importance of sleep. So that's, that's really piling on the pressure of sleep. So there's all these rules now about, you know, you can't exercise three hours before bedtime because your sleep's going to be really shot. Yeah. You can't um, have a heavy meal three hours because then your sleep is going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. But actually, you know, we have to live and life cannot constantly be compromised. Life gets in the way, it right? It does. But when we know that, um, okay, so I'm going to have a meal, for example, I'm going out or I'm having a family meal to celebrate something. There are certain things that we know that we can do. And we often talk about biohacks. And there are definite biohacks that we can do to help people's sleep um, improve. Let's talk about a couple of scenarios. Let's say I'm a really uh, stressed out CEO of a company. I'm a high level exec and the stress is giving me insomnia or it's preventing me to get good deep sleep. What can I do? A lot of people reach for the sleeping pills. Some people, myself included, guilty, reach for the melatonin gummies, which since our last chat, truly a couple of months ago, I stopped doing that. Excellent. I think you'd be proud of me. Very. <laughs> but it is those small changes. Yeah. So it's this conversation, what is so important from this conversation is that even if just one person takes something away that improves their sleep, then that's, that's enough. Mm -hmm. So it is about educating, but in a way that that information is helpful rather than some dogmatic rule and not putting people more and more under pressure. So with your very busy CEO, first of all, it's recognizing, really being honest with what could it be that is really impacting their sleep. So if, if stress is what's impacting their sleep, then it's finding a routine that is going to work. Now, for example, if we're looking at three elements of good sleep health or sleep hygiene, the first one that is going to really help your very stressed out CEO is light, exposure to light. Um, the second one is noise. And the third one is safety. So let's take safety. Safety, yeah. Wow. So let's take safety first because the brain is such an associative machine. And so the bed really needs to be only for relationships and sleep, nothing else. Mm -hmm. So if your CEO has got a number of books on their bedside table about you know, how to improve your um, productivity, how to improve, the brain already has an awareness that the, these are there. And so it's just going to carry on with the stress to the brain. Right. The bedroom really needs to be just for sleep. Mm -hmm. Knowing that you really want to work on not bringing the phone into the bedroom. Now, again, I know that is really, really difficult. But again, if we can work in manageable steps, and that might be, okay, so one night a week, I am not going to have the phone, I'm going to charge it outside. Nobody is that attached to their phone that they cannot have one night's sleep with it not being in the room. Or it might be that in the morning, you will give yourself 10 minutes before you go on your phone. So it's, it's making all these small amounts of changes. Now, in order for us to sleep well and for that deep sleep to, hap to happen, the brain needs to come out of its 
para, uh, it's sympathetic nervous, nervous system. And if your bedroom and your bed is associated with, I have to do this and I have to do that, we've already activated the fight, fright and flight. Right. So it's very hard for the brain to sleep. Whereas where we want to be really looking is how can we, in very small steps, improve the safety within our brain that we are starting off in that more of a relaxed central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So safety being the first one. Mm -hmm. And that's why, for example, when we go away in, on our first night away, we can lose up to 40% of our deep sleep. So again, you're really busy CEO traveling for business or even going on holiday. On that first night, 40% of your deep sleep can be lost and that's primarily because the brain doesn't recognize this new environment and it perceives that environment as dangerous so again your sympathetic nervous system is activated and we're in the fight fright and flight you know what i've heard that from so many um, high level execs that when they go on vacation with families uh, and i've heard this from my dad as well um, they cannot relax they become even more stressed because they feel like they're away from their job they're away from their work and they have to be even more alert uh, you know and they my dad for example doesn't know how to relax I mean he he says that he admits it he says I don't know how to relax and he's just always you know on holiday checking his phone checking his uh, emails on his laptop how how can you help with that <laughs> any advice well it's about recognizing that we can the brain is incredible and it can all learn how to do certain things that is going to really improve the quality of their life. And, you know, there's, there's lots of um, discussions now around the blue zone and longevity. And we're going for quality, not quantity. Right. And if we can really help all of us understand that, okay, I would like to live to 100 but I want to be able to be really physically active. I want to enjoy, you know, my partner and my children. I want to have these incredible conversations and I want my brain to be healthy. Mm -hmm. That's where we really understand about how to make these changes. And these, these changes can be made. Mindfulness is so helpful. And I know, like, for example, Matthew Walker, one of the leading neuroscientists in the world, particularly when it comes to sleep. You know, he was constantly being told about the benefits of mindfulness. But as he said, listen, I'm a hard-nosed neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness? No. But the research was so compelling that he had to look at the research. Right. And it really was showing us how the brain perceives certain environments. Yeah. And it takes us out of that fight, fright, and flight, which means that our central nervous system, the inflammation is brought down and our whole system is being activated in a positive way. So mindfulness is something really important, but it's got to be relevant to your father. Yeah, sure. You know, but it's starting small and, and relevant to all of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let's say, you know, uh, I'm laying in bed, uh, I'm not able to sleep. Uh, is there a quick fix? Okay, so no, <laughs> there are no quick fixes. However, what we need to recognize is our sleep begins from the minute we wake up in the morning. And if we do three things, it's really going to help us. Now, whatever order you do it in, but as long as we can do them. So the first thing that you're going to do, because light, remember, light, temperature and sound, or noise rather. But light, expose your, 
your eyes and the brain to as much natural light as possible as possible so even if it's just that you go and stand on the balcony or stand in the garden just for five minutes that light will confirm with your brain the actual time it is such as it is 6 a.m not 6 p.m mm-hmm. or it is 6 a.m not two o'clock in the afternoon which is what the blue light from our screen is telling it's tricking the brain and not giving it the accurate time. So the first thing that we do, just go outside on your balcony. And if you can't do that, just stand against the window. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to recognize that sleep is really dehydrating. And so, and that's why jet lag is quite difficult because of course, flying is very dehydrating, but sleep is dehydrating. So have some water. Now the recommendations are about six to 900 mils of water, okay. but I don't know. I can't do that much. I can do maybe 500. Yeah. And then I have something like um, a lemon and ginger tea. Right. Same. So so that that's good. So I'm still getting my water. Still water. Fluid, yeah. Um, and then the third thing is, which is really, really important for somebody who doesn't do any, any, any exercise, sadly. Um, Are you talking about yourself? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Same here, Julie. Same but, here. <laughs> but I, I found a way to help. And that is to do a couple of stretches in the morning. Mm -hmm. Now what those stretches do, when we are doing these stretches, just two or three, that's all. It signals to the brain to prepare for a certain quantity of the human growth hormone in the evening whilst you're sleeping. Wow, morning stretches will help you sleep better. Yeah, those three things. I never would have thought that, that's, that's incredible. Um, okay, going back to the stressed CEOs, yeah. do you get a lot of people who are, uh, I don't want to use the word addicted, but who rely perhaps on sleeping pills to get them through the night? Um, and actually we do use, we need to be very clear with the words, yes, they are addicted. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's not understanding that the sleeping pills, they absolutely do not improve. In fact, they give a poorer quality of sleep. Your sleep is much more fragmented and you have less of the deep sleep. So it's far less restorative. And what it does is it allows you to fall asleep quickly, but your quality of sleep is much poorer. And what is very, very clear now, the research is, is so clear. The gold standard for insomnia is CBTI. So that's cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. That's the most effective form of treatment for insomnia. And what is that exactly? So again, it's looking at behaviors. That's really what it's about. Mm -hmm. So again, recognizing that our brain is such an associative machine. Now you said something really important before about, you know, you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, what is the quick fix? First thing is to recognize your sleep starts from the minute we wake up. When you are in that situation where you wake up at three o'clock in the morning, You can't stay too long in your bed or tossing and turning because again, if you stay in your bed too long, now that your bed, your sleep place becomes a negative place, the best thing to do is to try a little. If it's not working, then you get up and you do something really, really boring but not and not stimulating so light keep the light right down Mm -hmm. and you know be mindful about not going to the fridge because if you open the fridge then the lighting in the fridge um, bright lighting led your clock is continually thrown off so just keep everything and then when you're feeling really tired then go back to bed 
Um, there's lots of really good apps that you can listen to to fall asleep, but on airplane mode. Okay. Um, th th there's a number of apps that you can use. And something boring, like a boring task, like what? Can you, can you read a book that's not related to business, for example, a novel or something like that? Obviously, staying away from crime slash yes, thrillers. The content. Or... So the content is really important. Yeah. Um, and it might even be, you know, the weather at the minute is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so it might be just going and sitting either in your garden or on the balcony and just sitting, not doing anything. Right. And knowing that, okay, I'm not sleeping, but I am resting. Right. So giving yourself permission just to be where you are. Whereas if you think, gosh, I'm not sleeping, this is going to be really bad, um, I'm going to be so exhausted in the morning, you're then keeping that sympathetic nervous system mm -hmm. activated. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, you can really look at how can I try and avoid what happened last night? And then using such things as, you know, turning your phone, setting an alarm, half an hour before you go to bedtime. An hour would be the best, but if that's too much, 30 minutes before, to remind you, turn off all devices. Yeah. And then work towards then that going into your room, having that bedtime routine, and knowing that your bed, your room is a sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it could be that your room might be too warm, and that is absolutely having an adverse effect on your sleep. Colder weather, we spoke about this earlier, colder weather is actually better. Much, much better for sleep. For so you're looking at temperatures somewhere as, as cool as 19. Mm -hmm or 63 to 65, that, that's, that's the temperature that the body works best to support right. sleep. And, you know, if you have a partner who can't sleep that cold, then... Then is there a problem, Julie? <laughs> no, no, not at all. You can, you, there's always ways around it. There really is, and that's what, that's what our brains does best. Problem solvers, let's, let's problem solve. True. And you can get these chili pads that you can put on your side of the bed, Okay. That And you can put them on half an hour before you go to bed, so you can turn it on, so you get into a cool bed, mm -hmm. and therefore your whole thermostat is supporting your sleep, and yet your partner's not impacted at all. If your partner doesn't like the room being cool, paradoxically, you can do something like put on some woolen socks. Right. And that's because there's some cells within our extremities that when we keep them warm, it actually cools the core body temperature down. Wow. So th there are things that we can all do which aren't great, great big solutions, but working in small steps. You know what, this is so fascinating and I love sleep and my friends make fun of me for it and they're always like, Lubna, you know, how much sleep can you really, you know, like how much sleep do you really need? And I'm like, I do need a lot of sleep. How much is a lot? What, what would you say is your sleep requirement? So I would say uh, a minimum of eight hours. <laughs> is my sleep requirement. But you know, during the week, you're busy, you're stressed, you don't actually get those full eight hours. Like personally, I don't. And then I try to make up for that over which the weekend. Can't. Which you can't. Which I can't. Um, yeah. So, any, because any what advice? We're, what we're, well, what, it's what we're almost looking at here is bulimic sleep. Right. Where we're going from hardly any, not hardly any, but very little sleep during the week, and then masses at the weekend, so which is I, also not healthy. So should I make up for the sleep over the weekend, or should I continue waking up and sleeping at around the same time and, and try to maintain that? 
That's one of the most important parts to us sleeping better. Now, interestingly, if we're looking at your really high levels exec, you know, who they will say to you, I can't sleep. I haven't got time to sleep for seven or nine hours. Yeah. It's not eight, it's seven or nine hours, just by pure maths. Yeah. So, but if the quality of their sleep is six and it's good quality sleep, that's what we're looking for. We're looking at completing all the sleep cycles and all the benefits of that full sleep cycle. So really focus on quality, not just quantity. Mm -hmm. And you were saying before about eight hours. Now, we know that the adult sleep cycle is 90 minutes in duration, which means you are either, we are either a seven-hour sleeper or a nine-hour sleeper. Right. I think it sounds like you're a nine-hour sleeper. Uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a seven-hour sleeper, for example. Okay. So for, it's about knowing what my sleep need is and then working towards it. And again, if you don't get it that night, it's all right. How can I just give myself half an hour more tomorrow night? Or what can I do to improve the quality of my sleep? Such as, okay, I know that perhaps I might have a lighter meal tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. And that would be, you might have some grilled fish and some grilled vegetables. And therefore, you only need a two-hour break mm -hmm. before you go to sleep. Now, the reason why this is really important about the timing of our meal is when we eat a meal too late into the evening then it ramps up our core body temperature and then it is com in complete conflict with the melatonin. Okay, I have a question for you. How do we know how many hours of sleep we actually need? Uh, by how do we need an alarm clock? So for example, my chronotype is that of an owl, which means my melatonin comes in later and leaves later. Mm. So I'm not a morning person at all. Me neither, Julie, and I have to do a morning show every day. Which Imagine is counterproductive <laughs> to your actual biology, to your specific, specific biology. Okay, so last week I was having to wake um, at quarter to six to get to an appointment, which I haven't seen quarter to six in a long time. Mm -hmm. But the night before I had to be very conscious of just getting to bed for me half an hour early, which is still really hard. Mm -hmm. But doing all these things, such as having a lighter meal, um, really exposing myself to dimmed lighting, particularly around four. So that's a good biohack. Okay. Exposure to lighting around four o'clock in the evening reduces the impact of the screen right. later. So can you see how the, there is definite yeah. ways around it? So I knew that, um, but that's my chronotype. Now, interestingly, I was really anxious and I set my alarm and I was so anxious that I would over, but I woke before my alarm. So that was telling me that I had my seven hours, I woke before the alarm, so I know I'm a seven hour sleeper. Mm -hmm. If you are consistently requiring the, the alarm or pressing that, you know, snooze button, yeah. I hesitated because I don't Guilty. know about snooze buttons in yeah. that it is the worst thing for your sleep. It is the worst. Oh dear, okay. <laughs> so that's why I couldn't eat, it wasn't there in my brain first. But yeah, so that's how you know. Right, okay. Uh, I could stay here all day chatting to you about sleep, Julie. One last thing, it's a, a special question from our producer, Hisham. Hisham, <laughs> this one's for you. Um, he says that he needs like a ten, 10 hours of sleep. Um, how can he lessen that? Because he doesn't actually need 10 hours of sleep, right? How can he change that? Is it through those 
small biohacks like eating a lighter meal, um, you know, making sure you don't consume too much light from your screen, not watching too much TV. What advice so, can you give Hisham? If he feels he needs 10 hours, then that's telling you he's absolutely not getting enough sleep. So there's a, a very definite uh, issue with the quality of his sleep. Right. So it's more about how can I improve the quality of my sleep. Mm -hmm. So looking at stimulants as well. Stimulants really impact our sleep. You know, uh, a cup of coffee, for example, contains about 100, 100 um, milligrams of caffeine. And then 12 hours later, you have 12.5 milligrams still left in your system. So that's one cup of coffee. You then have a second one. Now we've got 25 grams of your coffee, 12 hours later, still left in your system. Right. So it's looking to see. Now, it's not that coffee could be disrupting, but we have slow and fast processes of caffeine. Mm -hmm. And we're all different. So it's about recognizing. So I know for me, for example, if I have coffee or caffeine after two o'clock, I know it impacts my sleep. So it's just having an awareness of what impacts you because what impacts somebody else will not have the same impact. Sure, sure. One last thing about coffee. Yeah. Can you walk us through the nappuccino? Yes, certainly. When coffee can actually help you go to sleep. Um, so where the nappuccino comes in is that, say you've got a really, really uh, important brief that you and you, you feel that brain fog because you are tired. What, you will, what will be really helpful is if you have a cup of coffee, now it's got to be a decent cup of coffee, mm -hmm. um, and you have a cup of coffee, and then you immediately go into a nap. And what that means is when you come out of the nap, because if we're looking at NASA, according to NASA, the perfect nap duration is 26 minutes. Okay. So, but if you have this nappuccino, when you come out of that nap at 20 minutes, then the caffeine is kicked in and you wake up really ready to go and that fogginess is gone. So a nappuccino can really give you that burst of energy that you need and it can also be really helpful with jet lag. It's how we use things. So there's nothing to say, no, you can't have that, no, you can't. We can't do that. We're adults. I completely agree with, agree with you and I was arguing about this with, uh, with our boss, Richard, the other day. So Richard, if you're listening, there's an <laughs> expert here to prove you wrong so just saying he <laughs> he doesn't like to drink coffee and i was arguing that you know i, I can't i can't live without coffee or okay. perhaps i choose okay well not to live just without very coffee. quickly because i know we're wrapping up but coffee is uh, coffee is actually a really incredible antioxidant so it's not bad exactly. but it's how we use it yeah. so two cups of coffee you have that antioxidant impact, but after that, you're not. Now, the other thing is, I had one client who was really addicted to his coffee. Um, so he said he was going to go cold turkey, which we shouldn't ever do, really. But anyway, he chose to. That wasn't working for him. Yeah. We looked at all these amazing teas, wasn't working. Then, something, I'm just showing you how old I am now, but I remember drinking a chicory, chicory root, Okay. Now, this has been his savior in that you can buy it now as a blend. So you could buy it, you can buy it the same as coffee. Okay. So you have the ritual of, you know, in the French press and in the morning when you wake up, which of course we don't have our first coffee until an hour and a half after we've woken, because otherwise that's not beneficial at all. And you've just wasted the benefit. Oh, really? So one and a half hours after you have woken, then have your coffee. But he now is able to sit, 
because he loved having his coffee with his wife. That was their ritual in the morning. Yeah. And um, in this blend, and the best thing about this chicory blend, it's really good for his uh, microbiome. Nice. So we, we can find ways. We've just got to look at what's going to work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Julie, thank you so much. Always an incredible conversation with you. You're welcome. And I just wish everyone a really good night's sleep. And if they don't get it tonight, it's okay. You can do better tomorrow. You can do better. And you can also contact uh, Julie and contact Nurture to Sleep to help you. So uh, thank you, Julie, again. And uh, please subscribe to um, Smashy TV to watch our podcasts or listen to us on Spotify, Apple, and Rami or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. <laughs> what did you say?